Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. ultimate yes is a sunrise when the, whether you're standing on the beach or you're standing in your backyard and you see the sun come up that very next day and you see those rays breaking through isn't that just hope isn't that we've got another day and what can we do with it it's yes today is today what are we going to make of it and and it's even even on a cloudy day columbus ohio gets a lot of rain but the sun's behind that. What are you going to make of today that you didn't do yesterday? It's that hope. It's that inspiration. This this planet cannot survive without the sun and the rain and everything else. So when I'm thinking yes and now, I think it's, it's even more hope. It's even more opportunity. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. Now, If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with host of the Making Sales Social podcast, Bob Woods, and with Amy Mellon, co-founder of the True Heart Social Impact Search Engine and partner at True Heart Cause Agency, then go listen in. They're well worth it. But stay here. Listen to today's conversation first. Because I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, in fact, to welcome back to the Innova Buzz podcast, Peter Margaritas, the author of Taking the Numb Out of Numbers, Improv is No Joke, and his new book, Off Script, Mastering Business Improv. Peter previously appeared on episode 309 of the Innova Buzz podcast, so it's great to welcome him back. In our conversation today, Peter talked to me about the common myth about improvisation and secret, spoiler alert, practice matters. We talked about authentic leadership, the art of monotasking and being fully present. And we talked about engaging presentations, both in person and virtually. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Peter Margaritas. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome back to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Westerville, Ohio, in the USA, Peter Margaritas, who is the accidental accountant. He's a certified speaking professional He's an improv virtuoso, and he's author of Taking the Numb Out of Numbers, and Improv is No Joke. And his latest book is Off Script, Mastering Business Improv. Now, welcome back to the InnovaBuzz podcast. Peter, it's a great privilege to have you back as my guest. Oh, it's, it's quite great to be back, and thank you for having me. 
Now, you previously appeared on episode 309 of the Innova Buzz podcast, and we talked then about listening fully and being fully present. We talked about making your presentation to be about your audience and hearing things in their voice. And we talked about how to improvise the scene you are in, not the one you'd like to be in. So that was they were the takeaways that I'd noted at the time. So I'm really curious to explore that some more and explore in particular how that plays into mastering business improv. Now, before we start talking about all things improv again, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Peter? Oh, my impact that I'm making in the world today is I am trying to Actually, the biggest impact I'm trying to make in the world today is realize that we all, every one of us, every business out there is in one business and one business only, the people business. Hmm. Everything else is a byproduct. And that's part of the reason why, and it's part of the motivation why I wrote Offscript, uh, is because it's, it's a culture thing. And I've, I've been, I've been downsized, right-sized, you know, uh, off-boarded, however you want to call it back in the day. Uh, and, and I've been thought of as a number, you know, just a, 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 but we, we say people are our greatest asset. Well, if they're greatest asset, let's treat them like greatest asset with respect, with trust and support them. Um, and I've been carrying that banner for a while and I'll continue to carry that banner as we come into this great res- resignation that we're experiencing. And, and the workforce has finally said, we're not going to do it that way. Uh, you can't force us to do that. We see this hybrid model. We see this remote workforce is doable. And people complain, well, we don't have enough people to run our business. American Airlines just canceled, what, 2,000 flights over the weekend because of staff shortages? Well, we let people go. It's hard to get them to come back. <laughs> so that, that's that's what I'm trying – that message I'm trying to pass on. Yeah, well, here, here to that, yeah. and. You know, our motto here is to make marketing more human and podcast like you human. And it's all really about that whole human connection. And like you say, you know, we're transitioning a lot of our business over more to podcasting, but the whole underlying core philosophy and values of connecting humans is, is still there. It's, it's all the same message, really. Right. Hmm. Absolutely. Just keep carrying that banner, Eric. Let's keep carrying yeah. that banner. Yeah. Make a change. And I think the, you know, that American Airlines example is just one of so many. The, um, you know, the two years we've gone through or sort of coming out of now, hopefully, of, of this pandemic has really highlighted both the best and the worst of human behavior where, you know, the, the numbers people have said we've got to cut back because the income's not coming in. Um, and on the other hand, there are people that have done some really wonderful things like one of the stories that I really liked um, was the early days. Um, I won't fly the flag, but it was an Australian business in San Francisco um, that it was a cafe. And I think they were across the road from um, hospitals and medical centers. And and so their customers would be people that would come in to have coffee and have um, some something to eat. And, of course, that all stopped when there were lockdowns and so on. So what they did was they prepared coffees, they got out on the street, and they basically brought the coffees over to those medical centres and to the um, various institutions around that were normally their customers. They brought them coffees, um, didn't ask for any money for it, kept all their staff on board to produce this coffee, 
and some snacks. And guess where people are going to go get their coffee from now on? Absolutely. Hmm. That, that's marketing, isn't it, Jurgen? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's marketing. <laughs> it's human marketing. It's human marketing. People. Yeah. Right. All right. So, well, let's talk about the book um, No Script, Mastering Business Improv. Why, why did you write the book now? Well, the title is Off Script. And um, the reason why I wrote it now, well, actually, I hadn't planned on writing it. it, it <laughs> I've been researching it since, since Improv is No Joke came out. I've been researching because I knew I wanted to be a more business type of culture type of book. But I hadn't planned on it. And when the pandemic hit, I, I had to redesign my business. And that took about four or five months. My revenue kind of disappeared. And I had all this free time on my hands. And then end of July, going into August, I went, well, my to-do list is done. Now what? I guess I'll write the book. Yeah. And when I started writing it, I, 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 I knew where I wanted to go. But when, in the process of writing, I've written two other books. They've been great. They've been fine. I've, I've loved the process. There's something about this book that I was just engulfed in. And because it has more of a, of a business flair, a business theme to it. And I'm, I'm, I was able to, I, I hope that when people read it, especially the introduction, I'm able to bust some myths about improv. Because when we think of improv, we think about, you know, Drew Carey, whose line is it anyway? We think about comedians, we think about fun, we think about laughter, making stuff up, winging it, spontaneity. I think I found a way to kind of bust that myth and basically explain that improvisers are prepared actually they're kind of over prepared and i remember someone saying well if you're in an improv troupe why do you have to practice don't you just kind of go with the flow i'm like you practice so when something comes up that throws you a curveball you're prepared and you're not thinking of the script but you know how you're going to react to it so you can so you can be there in the moment and provide what's necessary so improvisers are really over-prepared, well-prepared individuals who are ready to give it through all or be in that moment and provide their knowledge, their experience to a situation. Hmm. All right. Well, I, I'm going to touch base on that uh, busting a myth some more. And when you know, when you kind of decided that was the light you wanted to place the book in. Um, I just want to touch on one point there. You mentioned comedians and one of the things, you know, people think comedians, they're just good at telling funny jokes. <laughs> the comedy is all in the timing and good comedians, I bet you that somebody like Drew Carey or um, Jim Carey is another great comedian. I, I bet you they have practised their comedy spills until they're absolutely sick of it themselves the ones that i admire are the ones that can still laugh as well at their jokes and they know it so well and i guess the art of improvising comes in as if something goes wrong or if there's an interjection from the audience of how they adapt to that actually that, that's true I, I used to do stand-up comedy and jürgen i was not that good because <laughs> It's 6.30, I was quarter seven Eastern Standard Time, and you and I are having a conversation, and I'm not on, out on the stage. But the, the, the thing about stand-up comedy is it is very, very scripted. 
there's the premise, there's the punchline, and then there's a tag and a tag to keep people laughing. And and in that world, as a as a coach told me, a stand up comedy coach told me, it's about word economy. Less is more. Mm-hmm. Like Henny Youngman's famous joke. And for those of you in the audience who don't know who he is, Google him because his joke back in the day was, "Take my wife, please." So it's that in the pause, the yeah. timing, and then the please. Um, where improv, it's reacting to a situation completely in that moment, being scripted, but then also at times being completely unscripted. Hmm. Which is the title of the book. So, <laughs> yeah, so tell us, how did you, well, what what was the aha moment that gave you the inspiration to say, this, this is how I can bust this myth? So after... Uh, Improv is no joke. I'd been curating articles from a variety of different sources. And in early of 2020, even before the pandemic hit, I had the thought that maybe it's about time to think about starting writing this book. And I came across this article in Forbes, uh, 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 Forbes.com. And it was written by a guy by the name of Carmen Gallo, who has written a lot of storytelling books, uh, business books. And I, I re- had used some of his material in writing, taking the number out of numbers. And the title, I, I might butcher it, it's, it's in the footnotes, that Martin Luther King improvised the I Have a Dream speech. And I went, oh, what? <laughs> and the more that I dug into this, the more it became clear that he did improvise this speech. And how the story goes was the night before the big speech in Washington in 68, he and his inner circle were in the hotel working on crafting this presentation, crafting his speech. He wanted to be have the same impact as the Gettysburg Address. And they're crafting and going through. Then they get towards the last third of the speech. And one of his um, people, I think his name was William Walker, said, let's, let's get rid of this I Have the Dream piece. We've been doing it for six to eight months. Uh, let's bring something in a little bit more, maybe aligned to what we're trying to do, what we're trying to say. And, and let's just cut it. And reluctantly, I believe, uh, Martin Luther King said, okay, we'll cut it and we'll rewrite something into that piece. So the next time he's delivering the speech, and if you watch the video, it's about two-thirds of the way through, you'll see him just kind of quit reading, looking down, looking up, looking down, looking up. And then he brings the I Have the Dream speech in. You see, the way the story is written is there was a gospel singer on the stage with him that day, Mahalia Jackson, who has known Dr. King for many years. And he was getting to a point in the speech that the people weren't reacting the way he anticipated they would react. And, 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 he, and he looked at these words, and these words that he was about to read seemed hollow. And, and Mahalia said, tell me about your dream, Martin. Now, it's, I couldn't find where he's actually said that I heard that, but at that moment, he pushed his script aside. And a couple of people, his inner circle behind him, heard Mahalia, saw him do that, and said, oh, these people are getting ready to go to church. And he started the I Have the Dream speech. Hmm. And he started getting the audience into, into a, a, a visual conversation. Uh, because it's full of emotions, full of passion. It, it, it was firing up. And, and by the way, that speech, the original title of that speech was Normalcy, Never Again. So 
so everything that I read that validated that he actually took something that he had prepared but wasn't planning on using. And at that point in time was reacting to the lack of enthusiasm, the lack of response he was getting from the audience to take this piece out and put this piece in. And since he didn't have it written in front of him, he spoke even more from the heart mm. and, and got, got people um, excited. And, and, and one piece about this is there's a retired Ohio judge named Patricia Blackman who has done the I Have the Dream speech in a couple of venues in the Cleveland, Ohio area. A friend of mine put me in contact with her. And through a Zoom interview, she said, Pete, have you ever been to a black church? I said, no, but I've always wanted to go. She says, when the minister of the reverend is up there, you know, doing their sermon, they're trying to connect with them. They want a conversation to go back and forth. It's not a one-way lecture. It's not a one-way sermon. They want the hallelujahs, the amens, the hands in the air. So that's different than the Greek Orthodox and most of the Catholics that I've seen, mm -hmm. churches I've been to. And she said, when the, when the reverend and the minister is not getting that response from the audience, they'll go off script yeah. and find a way to engage that audience. And, I, and she said, I believe that's what Martin Luther King did that day. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great story. And I, one of the, I mean, one of the key, well, there's two, two key points there for me. One is that to improvise is not to kind of make something up on the spur of the moment. It's to adapt to a situation and to an audience that, you know, the communication you're making is not being received in the way you want it to be received. So you change your communication. And the change in communication is picking up another really well-rehearsed piece that the art of the improvising or improvisation there is to be aware of the audience response and how your communication is being received. So you've got to be aware of that. And secondly, um, having something really well rehearsed and knowing what is a good fit. Something well rehearsed or, or a very vivid memory of mm. something that would fit that you can tell that story and, and put that in. And I have sat and watched a lot of business leaders who are scripted and the audience is... <laughs> <laughs> But they don't change because I think there's a fear that what if I do this? Will something go wrong? Well, there's always a possibility, but what you're doing is not right. Hmm. You're just, you're just, you know, communicating in a way that you haven't engaged anybody. And, and when we, when we start forgetting about us as that, you know, it, it, you know, improvisation is about collaboration. It's about communicating and connecting. And it's about me parking my ego. And it's all about the team and about the audience and less about me. If we can get to that mindset, then we can become better improvisers as long as we let that ego go away for a period of time. Mm. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? And making it about <laughs> them, which is what a lot of what we talked about in our last conversation on the right. Overbuzz podcast. Yeah, it, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of the similar themes uh, from the first one into here because that that is really the foundation of, of improv. Uh, but this is something else I, I've discovered in, over this period of time. And we've talked about yes and, and we've talked about the foundations of, of improv. I do that we've got respect, trust, and support as that foundation. 
If one of those are missing, it all falls apart. We've got listening and we've got focus and adaptation. And we have yes and. Now, in thinking about that yes and, it's about agreeing, it's about agreement, but not always agreeing. It's about listening to what somebody has to say and truly listening to them as you're willing to change or what you're about to hear, you're willing to change versus you can talk as much as you want. I'm not going to change. But the way I've kind of, we've done this a little bit is the ultimate yes is a sunrise. When the, whether you're standing on the beach or you're standing in your backyard and you see the sun come up that very next day and you see those rays breaking through, isn't that just hope? Isn't that we've got another day and what can we do with it? Hmm. It's yes, today is today. What are we going to make of it? And, and it's even, even on a cloudy day. I mean, Columbus, Ohio gets a lot of rain, but the sun's behind that. What are you going to make of today that you didn't do yesterday? It, it's, it's that, it's that hope. It's that inspiration. This, this planet cannot survive without the sun. And the rain and everything else. Hmm. So when I think of yes and now, I think it's, it's even more hope. It's even more opportunity. I mean, the sun comes up every single day, even during a pandemic. Yep. And that was one of the things that I kept in mind. You know, you said it earlier, everybody's the senior in, not the one you want to be in. But I also looked at every day as that hope, even that sun, we will, we will find it. We will find a cure. We'll find a vaccine. We will get through this as long as that sun keeps coming up. And what are you going to do today? What positive impact are you going to have on another person today? Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. And and I think that's a classic reframe as well. I mean, early on in the pandemic and even even as we went into recently about it was 15 weeks of lockdown, which we're coming out of right now, um, a lot of people were speaking to me about, oh, you know, woe is me and uh, not another Zoom meeting. And, and I, you know, thought, well, Let's reframe this because, you know, there's lots of stuff going on. We've got vaccines. If people go out and get vaccinated, you know, there's there's a clear path to how we're going to be able to come out of this and deal with this in the future. And also there's heaps of opportunities. I mean, imagine um, speaking to people all around the world in person um, that you can now do on Zoom or virtually, whatever platform, that you may not have been aware of that you could do before and all of a sudden you've got the opportunity to have a global business rather than just your little local business where you had to commute you know anything beyond an hour's commute was probably too much trouble for you so everybody was just nearby so reframing and looking at what what are the opportunities yes we've got a pandemic and what can i do about it Right. And I actually, my improv coach contacted me April of the pandemic. He said, do you think we could do a virtual improv class? I don't remember if I spoke about this on on the first first time we talked, but actually we did. And and he took it and ran with it and I took it and ran with it. And and now I'm able to get people from around the country, hopefully around the world, to attend a six-week business improv class Hmm. on, on a Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, to like eight o'clock or whatever the time may be. And, and it's been fun to, to get people together that would normally not have the chance to interact with each other 
and now you see these great bonds growing between between the groups. It's absolutely fascinating, and, and yeah, I think we have more opportunity now that we're leveraging technology. Now, I I do love to speak in front of a, hmm. an in person live audience. Yeah. But I also don't mind speaking virtually because I don't want to travel 150 days a year anymore. Mm. I'd love to just do 75, 80, but then those other times I can be in my office, I can be wherever I am and, and still do that presentation through the wonders of technology today. Mm. That's right. And I think that's an important point is there's, you know, we've been forced to do more with technology during the pandemic. We now have the opportunity to say, well, let's keep some of that that's working really well for us and that gives us an opportunity to have a bigger reach or to save time in terms of traveling where it's not absolutely necessary. But let's not forget that, you know, that human connection that we talked about earlier, um, the in-person meetings are actually very powerful and sometimes that's just the best way to do it. It is, but my, you know, my first in-person meeting, I, I was going to have them do some work at their tables, and I didn't. I said, okay, guys, I'm going to put you in breakout rooms. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I actually thought this morning of um, um, of a humorous speech you could do. You know, you do it. It has, This one has to be in person. So you're on stage. You've got an audience in person there with you, and you can talk about hey, Pete, you're on mute. Oh, oh, I'm going to send you all to breakout rooms. Yeah, yeah, those sort of things. I like that. Hey, 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 the gentleman in the back of the room, uh, can you mute yourself, please? (laughs) (laughs) And and by the way, the person over there, could you turn your cat? Oh, it is on. I'm sorry. (laughs) I like that. All right. Um, now you talked about um, ego and leaving your ego aside and listening to the audience. One of the things that you mentioned in the book is walking away from the inner critic, which I think is something that kind of fits into that because a lot of the ego is here. Oh, I might look bad, so there's the inner critic saying, oh, "Don't do that," because um, I'll think badly of you. What are some of the tips you have for kind of quieting that inner voice and that inner critic? I use uh, uh, duct tape on my inner critic, the, the, the virtual duct tape. It's, it's, but it's taken a lot, many years. Um, the inner critic's there for a reason, to protect you. Hmm. And I want that inner critic there if I'm standing on, a, on an airplane getting ready to jump out and I don't have my parachute on. Yeah. I want that inner critic to stop. But the, the inner critic doesn't know when to stop sometimes. Like if, a lot of people with the ego, I have to be right all the time. I can't be wrong, and I can never fail. That's called a robot <laughs> or artificial intelligence or some way we program. Um, I had I made a back in the day. I was working for Victoria's Secret Catalog, not as a model. Appreciate your thought, Jerry. And I made this huge error in the spreadsheet. Had to go tell my boss, and I was expecting him to chew me down. And as I'm telling her, her face didn't flinch. And then she asked, she said this, well, what's your solution? And clearly my face gave it away. I had no solution. Hmm. And then she chewed my butt out. Yeah. But after she was done doing that, she looked at me and she goes, Pete, 
I expect that you'll make mistakes because you are human. Here again, I had a boss tell me that I was a human being. Have you ever had a, I, I, in all my time in corporate America, in all my time working since at the age of 12 years old, nobody ever told me I was a human being. Hmm. That had the greatest impact on the way I viewed things. And then she said, get your out of my office. You have an hour to come back with a solution. I'll come back. Uh, here's my solution. Was it the right solution? Not even close. But, and it started the conversation hmm. and finding a solution where she didn't have to fire me. So if we all can realize we're human beings and we make mistakes, as long as you don't, you know, as long as you don't keep making the same mistake over and over and over yeah. again. And, and a lot of times we make mistakes because we think we've thought everything through. But you know what? We forgot something. And just be vulnerable and own up up to it. Vulnerability is, is now perceived as a strength in leadership, not a detriment. It, it's something to, I'll, when you're vulnerable, you just tell your team, I screwed up. We're going to get through this. They look at you in a different way. Like, oh my God, he is human. Hmm. He's, he's, and, and kind of brings him, and, and some people don't want this levelness between the authority and the people who work for them. And they use that term. I've never, I said people work with me. They don't work for me. They work with me. Because we're, we're a team in this. Yes, there has to be a leader, but it doesn't mean that, you know, just because you have the title doesn't make you a leader. It just gives you the power. But that's still not leadership. Hmm. And the more vulnerable we can be, the more collaborative and inclusive of the team that we can be, the more, the more we can create a psychological safety workplace culture where we can say things that might be a little crazy, a little strange, or maybe a bit down the road, but we're going to respect your thought process. Maybe there's something you said that's going to jar, to make us think of something different. Uh, I was always that guy in corporate America. Oh, hey, here he comes again. What crazy, stupid idea is he going to come up now? Was he? And and I was ridiculed. I mean, I I, I was I was badgered. Uh, in so many ways, and it, why do I even want to work here? They didn't, that, that lack of respect. Uh, but the world of improv has taught me that we need to respect everybody. Trust takes a lot, but we can trust, if I'm trustworthy, they will be trustworthy, and to support them. With that foundation, we can do anything. Mm. Inclusivity, and improv leadership is the exact opposite of ego leadership. Yeah, and I I know I, I here's what I expect when when I wrote this book, but I know some people are gonna really give me the you know they're gonna give me some criticism of it. That's fine. Good, please do. I don't really care because everything that's written today, everything that's being done today through through the research and, and Harvard Business Review and, and, and talking about other companies. Um, that's the way leadership is moving, that servant leadership, that inclusive leadership. And here in this country, I saw a stat that our employee engagement increased to 37%. Uh, that means 63% are completely mm -hmm. unengaged. Yeah. I think that's a bigger problem. Yeah. And that unengagement, I wonder where that comes from. Probably a lot of me, 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 me leadership and not about my people. They're just in the trenches working. Hmm. We'll find another one. We'll find another one. Oh, and once again, they are our greatest asset. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. The disconnect between what's said and, and the behavior, right? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you talk a lot about authentic leadership in in the book and one of the things you point out is um, monotasking is really important and being fully present in the moment or with the person. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, in preparing for this podcast interview, and, I, and this is my second time, and thank you again, uh, there's, you have a little uh, uh, thing of the do's and don'ts and try to do this and try not to do that. And one thing he says, make sure your phone's turned off or, or silenced. Hmm. Because this is one of the biggest distractions that we have. And with it, with it off, completely off as it is, it's not going to bother me. I can focus on this conversation. But people think that we can, we can multitask. The research shows we can't multitask. If we could multitask like that, texting and driving would be, would, would, wouldn't, you wouldn't get a ticket for it. Uh, you, you're not, you know, you're only picking up bits and pieces versus when you monotask, especially on the tough stuff. Hmm. Um, and, and so if I take this book into example, uh, I started writing this book a little bit through, uh, at first, an old person whose son has a company called uh, caveday.org, and he's done a lot of work in deep focus. And people hold each other, each other accountable online where you come into this cave and you're working on some deep work and you've eliminated all the distractions. And there's a set time limit, take a break, bio break, come back a little bit of focus, and you have to leave your cameras on. And the moderator kind of, keeps their eye open to make sure everybody's being held and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I would spend two hours in this thing. I had done more in two hours than I could six hours hmm. with everything else. And, and, and then a friend of mine, Greg Condorachi, taught me about when are, you, when are you at your best? And I don't know how this happened. I was never an early person. I was an early person when I was coming home, but not getting up to get start work. But I've turned into this early person that when I was writing this book, I, I was at my desk by 5 a.m. And I would work for three, four hours. It was quiet, no no, no distractions. The two FTEs upstairs wouldn't bother me or anything else, uh, And which was my wife and son. They were they were quarantined as well. They became my two new mm -hmm. FTEs. And I was able to start crunching and, 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 and chiseling out a good piece of this book. So multitasking is just distractions. Multitasking, you're not focused on one thing or another. Multitasking, if people start complaining why they're working 12, 14 hours, because they're juggling too many things. Hmm. And the ability to just focus on one thing at a time, you'll get more done, but it's just how you eliminate those distractions. Well, how do you, how do you manage those distractions? Probably a better way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember the exact data, but the switching between tasks um, if you're focused on one task and then you get distracted by let's say a phone call and you answer the phone call and have a conversation and then coming back to the original task i think it's 10 times the amount of time you're away that it takes you to get back into exactly what you're doing so that you're back at, at the place of focus and productivity that you were when you kind of left to do the other thing right and, and I, I think the, the biggest distraction 
and I'm guilty of it too, I'm doing a better job of it, is email. Because we think we have to answer it right now. Yeah. I'm going to answer this email right now. They, they I've just, there's certain times of the day I just turn it off. I just, I, I just hmm. put the browser and let it go away. And, and, and keep my phone and iPad away. If it's something really important, they'll call. Me. Hmm. Yeah. Email is, is a real issue. And I've, I've started now. Um, I mean, I've got a whole lot of systems set up with email that, um, I probably only get about 10 emails in my inbox each day. And the rest go into various folders automatically that because they're, Emails that, you know, information. I need mm-hmm. to read them, but that can happen at any time, really. Um, or their bank statements, or their there's one that's invoices to pay. So I know that I I pay my invoices. I follow Mike McCullough's profit first philosophy. So I pay my invoices on the tenth and the twenty fifth of the month. So I don't need to see them at any other time. Because I know that's the action I need to take, so they can go that to that folder. Um, and with the inbox, I've now started to set a time where I look at that inbox and do the. If it's more than two minutes, if it's not a quick reply, then I will move it out of the inbox into my task management system, which is married to my calendar. Um, so at some point, I'll be told deal with that email. So if you don't mind me asking, uh, what email system, what task management system are you using? I've uh, I've set up a task management system in Notion, which um, is kind of a big comprehensive system that's got uh, you know, married up to project management. And like I've built this over the last 12 months or so, um, one of my little COVID hobbies. <laughs> and, <laughs> It's um it's working really well because I just sort of I've really adapted it to my work style and then keep enhancing it. I use um the G Suite email hooked up to my business business email and I have I have Sanebox which allows you to train emails. So for example, an email from my bank will come from the same email address. So any email that comes in from that address gets put into the finance folder order. Um, then I try, I train, so I know the invoices that come in, I'll have to train them to go into my invoices folder. But there's, I move them once, and then after that, they automatically go in there. Wow. you got to patent that. <laughs> it's not mine. It's not mine. It's a, <laughs> it's a service, yeah. You, you, then you should then you should put on a workshop on how to do that because I I, I think that I can just hear the cash register ringing right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. There's there's things that we do that we kind of take for granted, isn't there? And um, mm-hmm. other people, when they hear about them, say, "Oh, there's a lot of value in that." And I think there is a lot of value in that because mm-hmm. that, that's something I I continue to uh, it continues to challenge me all the time is email management but we don't have to keep talking about that but that's part of that whole distraction of shutting things down and just being focused on those, that most important work and, and just you know and, and when you, and when you're delivering a presentation too don't be distracted I, you know you, you should be sitting and reading the audience and, mm. and if the audience is sending you body language like you're not connecting with me you're boring me or 
or everybody starts, like I say, they grab the phone, they do the conference prayer, they bow their heads. Um, then you've got to do something to re-engage them and, and, and get, get away from the data and start telling some stories. Hmm. Yeah, well, chapter 16, you talk all about the art of the imperfect presentation. And so you just touched on that. So what are some of the some of the tips there for and and why the imperfect presentation is that letting go of the ego that's uh yeah letting go of the ego and, and you know well i, I reference uh steve jobs and uh, before their their apple's big launch he would meticulously rehearse 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 now i don't know if 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 what he had started his presentation the way he ended it if it was perfect it could be at times but we all know stuff happens. Hmm. We all know it's, and actually my, my, um, publisher, she had originally, we're working on titles and she said the perfect presentation. She said there's no such thing. Maybe for just a few, uh, because something always happens. And when I teach public speaking and presentation skills to people, I go, here's the thing. You need to know your material. You need to know it really well. And you need to know that something's going to go wrong. Your computer's going to freeze up. The, the microphone's not going to work. There's going to be some issue. That's the, 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 the waiter who's cleaning the tables for lunch drops the whole tray of dishes. Something will go wrong. As well as internally, I, I've never been a scripted person, like a memorization scripted. But those who are, if they forget something, they might left out a paragraph. And then that inner critic goes, I told you you weren't going to be a good public speaker. You forgot the whole paragraph. And then their presentation goes sideways. Or I, I do reference, uh, there's a Hollywood producer at a uh, electronics show that was supposed to come up and talk about this new TV, completely unprepared, and, and he was relying on the teleprompter. Hmm. And the teleprompter wasn't working. And he did the worst thing possible. He stopped, got embarrassed, and walked off stage. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's when, when those those internal things that happen ninety nine nine out of ten times we're the only ones who know that we've made a mistake. Hmm. Let it go. After we're done, just go back and go. I missed this. I, well, I, I I delivered the, the first presentation of Offscript a week ago Monday. And it was the first time I was delivering it. And I'd rehearse, 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 and then in front of the audience, and I'm doing this and that. After I'm saying I'm done, I went, okay, I, I, off the top of my head, I know two or three things I, I forgot to say. And I had another presentation on Friday, same topic, a little bit longer. Well, I didn't miss those that time. Hmm. However, I missed something else. And it's just this piecing together, it's the rehearsing. But even when you, you, the presentations I've done, I don't know, like a hundred times. I'm so prepared, but I may forget something or I may tell a different story, or, but I'm the only one. A lot of these external things that happen, it's also the way we handle them. You know, um, I've, I've, I've seen presenters lose their cool because the microphone's not working properly, or we did the test and the microphone's not working, or the computer froze and somebody's got to give me another computer before I can start. No. You start, you're paid to start, or you're asked to start on time and end on time. If your computer froze and you're given an hour presentation, you should be able to know that presentation upside down, inside out within 95% of it. 
If you don't, you're not prepared. And that's happened to me a couple of times where the computer froze or, and, uh, okay, let's go. Guys, I'm going to try this without slides today. Mm. Let's see if we can do that. And you'll have fun and you'll have a good time filling out the evaluations. Yeah. Yeah. And have a little fun with the audience, but just let them, it's, it's, it's okay. It's mm. that ability to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of great tips there. And I, I particularly like the one I, I often remind people when, I'm evaluating speeches and people will say, oh, I forgot this or I didn't say that right. And I say, well, nobody else knows, um, which is the inner critic, right? <laughs> right. So nobody else, did you share the script? Did you hand out the script before? <laughs> were people reading that script as you were presenting? No, of course not. It reminds me of one of the very first big, presentations I gave. I was a very young man. I was a graduate student. I'd been accepted into the National Chemistry Conference to present a paper on my work. So it was a big deal. So mm -hmm. I wrote out this speech. I had in those days 35 millimeter slides with a projector at the back. You know, there was a guy running a slide projector. I'd say, next slide, please. Um, and I had written out this, this speech the script in my neatest possible handwriting, double-spaced in this notebook, and I'd rehearsed it. I knew it word for word, off by heart. So I went to the front, onto the podium, put the notebook on the on the lectern, opened up to page one, launched into my presentation. You know, next slide, next slide, next slide. It was about an hour's presentation. About 45 minutes in, I lost my place. <laughs> in the script and I just stalled and of course I then went back to the lectern the notebook's on page one so I'm leafing through the notebook trying to find that place and you know it probably took me about two or three felt like an hour but <laughs> but it probably took me two minutes or so to find find the spot sort of calm my nerves again and get back into the groove and it was okay but that that to me was kind of the lesson that if you've got it that tightly scripted and something goes wrong you know you just have a bit of a brain fade uh, you're in trouble that's a great story uh and and you were probably 18 shades of red uh the audience the audience was cheering for you oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah, they, they weren't going, <laughs> he's lost his face. We're going to have some fun at his expense. No, but, but you're right. We get so scripted that, uh, we lose our place at times. Hmm. We, 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 or as an actor said, we forget our lines. Yeah. And he so he gave me this piece of advice. If you ever forget your lines, just pause for a moment, take a big deep breath. And maybe that deep breath will get some oxygen into your brain where you remember where you are because when you lose your place, you begin to panic. Mm. And you start breathing very shallow. You're not getting oxygen to your brain. You're just panicking and trying to, you know, trying to tread water and save yourself from drowning. Just breathe. Yeah. Yep. That's great advice. And certainly I, I experienced <laughs> some, some of that panic at the time. I, still, I can still feel it today and it's, it's many decades ago. <laughs> But we, but we, we feel those still to this day. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had times like that. And I told you I was trying to do stand up comedy 
and, and I remember those times that all I heard was crickets hmm. or moans and groans. It's like, okay, those still those still live in the back in, in that haunted part of my brain to remind me. Remember back then? Don't forget about back then. You're better at it now, but those things still live in the back of your head to remind you to stay sharp. Keep those butter. Be nervous, but don't be scared. Be nervous that, that, that it keeps you on edge. It keeps those butterflies still going in the same direction versus pterodactyls in your stomach and bouncing off the walls. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, you also have a chapter in the book dedicated to virtual presentations, and I guess that's pretty timely given the time you wrote the <laughs> book. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about how can we adapt these techniques in a virtual um, space? Or... Well, one, for the presenter, don't be afraid of the camera. I've never had any real camera training, but I've gone in the studio, and all it's been just the camera and myself and maybe the person who's running it, and then when we're done, he goes, can you teach others to do that? Because you're actually talking to the camera you're actually not afraid of it and it's like well i'm not because there's like a, at least with this podcast a couple million people watching right now or listening right now so i've got i've got that audience pictured in my mind and and, and i had to do this accounting presentation eight hours in a conference room in glendale california about five years ago and it was being virtually presented to 35 accountants in san diego and la now, I know for a fact, nobody's staying focused during that whole eight-hour period. Hmm. The multitasking, triple-tasking, waiting for the ding so I can get my credit. But I wouldn't allow myself to think that. I was I was telling myself, they're engaged. Man, they're, they're living on every word you're saying. And I kept that passion going. Um, and you have to really kind of work with your mind with this. Because we're doing a virtual presentation, even especially if nobody has their camera on. You can't think, I know exactly what to do. You mm. can't think that. They're being attentive. They all just have bad hair today. And it's a blessing that the camera is off because it's scary. And just go in and bring that passion. Use that body language. Use the tone of your voice. And if, it, I, I've been experimenting with two or three camera shoots where I can hit a video switcher and talk to the camera over here. Just, just kind of shake it up over here. And there's times that I've gone, okay, guys, we're going to do something. You remember back when in, in like a classroom where we have a whiteboard or a flip chart? Well, today I'm going to use a flip chart. Now I hit it, switch the camera to the flip chart and go over and write on it and then come back. And it just helps keep that audience engaged. Hmm. Um, versus I, I see a lot of people who are doing these presentations <laughs> and it sounds just kind of like this. And you know, if we keep doing this, Bueller, Bueller, anyway, Bueller, and, and it's just, they, they, they freeze up. Hmm. It's, it, it, it all goes to, it all goes to that mindset that we have. And we have to change that mindset in order to get that passion, to get that, that, that excitement, to, to be excited about what we're doing, no matter what the topic is, and to be able to communicate that through a lens into the, the homes or offices of other people. To have them kind of lean into it, like, what, that's interesting what he's saying. To keep them engaged, hmm. and there's a, you know through, through videos, through stories, through almost any way out there, versus being monotone and and and, and robotic. 
yeah. that turns an audience off. Mm. And, and, and and like you said, in, in preparing for this, make sure you have a good microphone. That's because people say, what's the best thing I need for a virtual presentation? My content? I went, no, that's third. Third? Mm. Yeah. You need a good camera and you need a great uh, a microphone and a really strong internet connection. Mm. And then they'll hear your content. If it's the other way around, and I've seen people who presented and their, their microphones yeah. sound terrible. They're not listening to you. They're just annoyed by the the sound right. yeah. out there. Yeah. Well, the worst Zoom meetings. I mean, there's another gag for the Zoom meeting presentation. It's you're breaking up. You're breaking up. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you repeat that last one? <laughs> or, or or the one uh, uh, I'm part of this group and uh, there's six of us. And one of the gentlemen uh, zoomed in. He was in his car, and his phone was in his lap. <laughs> and I'm going to keep your eyes don't look down <laughs> keep your eyes going this way and then just be the smart I say, hey by the way Ed you need to really trim your nose here <laughs> <laughs> just kind of the hint because we tend to forget yeah yeah you know, we, we leave it on the lap well, I, I've, I've seen that more people's noses than I care to see <laughs> in my, my entire lifetime yeah that, that's a favorite no no of mine and i think you know talking about things that add value and things that you could be training i think there's a opportunity there for you i um we watch various news reports usually every evening while we're having our dinner and i my wife's probably sick of me making these comments now but i say you know as as people have been reporting in virtually um, so they're not in a professional environment with the professional cameraman and, you know, it's not necessarily a professional reporter. I say, that person needs some camera training. They're either, you know, sitting above their camera or they've got a really noisy background or you're, you're looking up their nose. <laughs> exactly. Or, or they've got the, the virtual wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. That they lean back and... Okay. Just the body below, yeah. or they get something in their hand, also their hand disappears. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So lots of different tips there, but <laughs> but so how do you how do you put yourself in that mindset of because when you're doing, you know, you talked earlier about you you preferred to do the in-person presentations and you're reading the audience and you, you're presumably getting a lot of energy from the audience as well. So there's kind of, you know, the energy and the enthusiasm of the audience is rubbing off on you and, and that's kind of feeding your energy and enthusiasm. How do you bring that into a virtual presentation? I get a lot of energy from the audience. And when I went, but I've been doing virtual presentations or doing on-demand recordings for, I guess now about seven years. And what I've learned is that I have to, my job is to, is to, to inform and engage. And if I can't get that from them, I have to generate it myself. Hmm. So, you know, the, the introvert generates their own energy. The extrovert gets it from, from the audience. So when the extrovert has to generate their own, I did back-to-back eight-hour presentations, virtual presentations during the pandemic for two straight days. 
day three and day four, I was just a glob somewhere in the corner because I was so mentally and physically exhausted because I had to generate my own energy. Um, and, and it still happens today. If I have to do even a four hour program, now I, there's some audiences that will be engaged that will, you know, you know, be part of the presentation, but most of them don't. And, and, and I just keep trying to keep bringing it, Pete, bring that passion, bring that energy. And I'll take the rest of the afternoon off. Hmm. I, I've got nothing. I've got absolutely nothing left. It, it's, it's way past empty. Yeah. Yeah, so I know that feeling, and I'm glad it's not just me that experiences. No, it's yeah. It, well, it's anybody who cares what they're doing hmm. when doing a virtual presentation. Some people just do it. Oh, I'm fine. I could do I could do these all day. I'm like, then then you're not bringing yourself. You're just hmm. reading. You're not you're not bringing any emotion or any impact or any engagement into that. Um, and that's really what the audience needs and hmm. wants. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Great point and. Great ideas to you know, generate your own passion and enthusiasm and imagine that all your audience is there excited and hanging on your every word. <laughs> when I know that they're playing tic <laughs> Well, that's okay. You're not speaking to those. So. <laughs> that's right. Hmm. That's right. All right. Well, I've just looked at the clock and realized that we've gone quite some time. Um, that's, that's fine. We're having fun. Um, I think we might revisit the buzz round and just um, see what your answers are today. And um, if anybody's oh, really keen, they can go and check check and compare to the last time. But I'm sure that you'll have some great um, tips from your experience that will inspire our listeners to go and do something awesome as a result today. Okay. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Uh, to realize they're creative. Everybody has ideas. When we have ideas, that means we are creative. So just start coming up with ideas. And, and as we say in improv, bad ideas are bridges to good ideas. No ideas lead to nothing. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. So, yeah, start with the bad ideas and because they will lead somewhere. All right, the best thing you've done to develop new ideas is allow myself to feel like I am creative. I mean, I'm, I'm not a CPA, by <laughs> the C doesn't stand for creative public accountant. It sounds for certified public accountant. But I know I, I, I know my mind thinks differently. And I've got to the point that I let my ideas out and give them oxygen. And you know what? Some of my ideas don't work. And some of my ideas that I've put into play have actually failed. That's okay. Fail is an acronym standing for first attempt in learning. If we don't fail, we don't learn. Nobody's perfect. And if we realize that, that failure is actually a good thing, hmm, as long as we don't continue that same thing over yeah. and over again, uh, our businesses and our people will grow exponentially than if we continue to punish them hmm. for coming up with maybe a bad idea. So I, I just take the fact that I am creative. I feel like I'm a pretty creative guy. I can't draw. I can't play a guitar, but I, I, I can... I can um, write a few books. I, I, I'm an improviser, so impro those who improvise can be and usually are funny because they think of stuff right on the fly, mm. bringing things in. Yeah, and I love the idea of embracing failure to learn from it. And one of the things that I've 
started articulating a lot more based on my scientific background is look at everything as an experiment. So you have an idea, this is an idea that might work, it might do this. That's your hypothesis. You run the experiment. Um, the result of the experiment may validate that hypothesis, but it may also tell you that no, the hypothesis is wrong. So what's wrong with the hypothesis? So there's the learning and then run the next experiment. And that's the beauty of being a, a, the scientist or, or like an engineer and accountant. Well, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> and usually when you say that, you're not going to do it because everything costs something versus changing. What would this investment hmm. take me? Yeah. And what's the opportunity? And that, what's the opportunity? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Love it. All right. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Favorite resource that I use most often, other than Google? Google, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> search engine. My, my, or, search, yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, 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 I, my father said, listen to my son because I'll ask him some questions, Dad. Just Google it. <laughs> so I've gotten to the point that I, well, uh, today I was, I was trying to figure out something why my MacBook Pro wouldn't take an external mic. And I, uh, I'll just Google it. Yeah. I just Google it. And, and yeah, so that's, that's my, my all time favorite resources is, is Google because there's, I mean, between that and YouTube, I mean, it answers almost every question that we have. That's right. Yeah. And YouTube, uh, YouTube's great. I, I like to use YouTube. I mean, I, I've done some, like, I've got two left thumbs, really. Um, I'm so totally impractical, but I've done some magical things on my bike, setting up the gears and, all kinds of things simply because I went onto YouTube and said how to and then picked the one that resonated with me and that made the most sense and there it was. I tried that too with my bike during the pandemic. <laughs> I think it cost me more to get it redone than it did for me to mess it up. So I must have three thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you picked the wrong videos. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah. true too. Hmm. All right. What's the best way to keep a client on track? Keep a client on track is give them expectations and let them and don't micromanage them. Keep the client on track. And, 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 and it's 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 having those touch bases. Um, so last time we, we had the last time we talked to you, we were supposed to do X, Y and Z. Where are you? In this? It's just like a, a performance review. Hmm. What have you accomplished? How far have you gotten that path? What, why did you? Well, why haven't you looked at it in over a month? Well, I was watching YouTube. And I got into these funny cat videos. I'm just wasting a whole month watching funny cat videos. Now, is that the best thing to do for your for your business? Is watching funny cat videos? So it's it's holding them accountable, but giving them it's not smothering them. Mm. And, and I, I think some think that that's the way to manage a client is to smother them and. You know, you get you set deliverables, you set expectations, and then you follow up on them. You don't ask a week ahead. Hey, hey, how's that coming? Mm. You, know, you got a week to turn it in. Uh, I know that. So go away, right? Yeah. So don't micromanage, but set clear expectations. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Well, don't look like everybody else. <laughs> don't do. Don't, I, 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 but I, I, you know, I, I, they try. I would try to fit myself in a square peg in a round hole. Uh, and I came to the point that, you know what? We are all unique in our own ways. Embrace our uniqueness. Mm. Embrace our quirkiness. 
embrace that stuff that makes us different from everybody else. Because you know what? If we were all alike, what a boring world this would be. Mm. I mean, and, and so I'm the accidental accountant. I'm, I'm Greek American. I'm ADHD and dyslexia. I, I love my, my why in the world is I love making people laugh because it helps them learn. It helps them engage. It helps them grow. Um, that's my quirkiness. Um, and I'm not a sh- I'm not, I'm not afraid of it anymore. I, I don't know if it's because I turned, uh, 60 last year, but I got to the point that I didn't, that someone's at peak, that runway's getting shorter. Uh, and since that runway's getting shorter, I've wasted time not being who I am and trying to fit in everywhere else. And now it, it, it is, there's no such thing as too late. It's never too late. Well, it is never too late when they're putting dirt on you. Hmm. So I, I've, I've embraced it the last few years even more so than I ever have, and, and I'll continue to do that to differentiate myself. And that's one thing I do, that I do know within the accounting profession and, and doing presentations. They go, you don't sound like everybody else. <laughs> you, you do it differently, but the thing is you understand us. And actually, I'm, I'm, I've got a prospect that I'm working with that they, they wanted to bring improv into their sales conference next year. And they brought a troupe in and, and they, they kept trying to tell them what they did and, and, and the clients that they worked with and their primary CPAs and accountants. They didn't do the research. They didn't, they didn't, what, what's the day in the life of an accountant? Hmm. And when they found me, they went, okay, one, is this really true? You're a CPA and you do improv and you've written a couple of books with you. Uh, and you know, I said, I kind of know. It's been a while, but I, I, it won't take long to get up to speed to speak that language. Hmm. So I've got a mock presentation I'm doing for them Thursday because I'm different. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And embracing that difference and, like you say, it sort of matches you up with the people that you can help best. Right. Thanks, Peter. This has been fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you, get a hold of the book um, off script, and um, maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you shared? They can. My website is Peter Margaritas, and it's M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S. It's pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation. <laughs> so it's PeterMargaritas.com. My email is Peter at PeterMargaritas.com. And the book, Offscript, Mastering the Art of Business Improv, can be found on Amazon. And if you, if you go to this URL, uh, offscriptimprov.com, it depends on when you go to it. It'll either take you directly to the Amazon website or it'll take you to the new landing page that we're creating right now. And then from there, you can get to the Amazon website. And as of today's November 2nd, as of tomorrow, November 3rd, it will be available in ebook form on Kindle. Mm, fantastic. All right. Well, we'll definitely have all the links in the show notes so that people can click straight through. So, would you, is there some parting advice you'd like to leave our listener with today, Peter? Um, two things. We all are improvisers. <laughs> My goal is to make everyone think about improvisation in a more strategic way. In, in, in their business world and in their personal life. Um, we all have to adapt. We all have to change. Anybody who's had children knows that there's not a script for that. 
but we learn, we do, we seek, we, we find out information in order to take care of that little creature that grows up to be 21 that leaves the house, or in this day and age, probably more like 31 before they leave the house. <laughs> um, and, and second, if you listen to this episode, you need to keep listening to this podcast. I listened to it I, since the first time I got on it. Jürgen's got some great guests. Uh, he's a great host. Uh, make Subscribe to this podcast because uh, it's well worth the investment in time. Oh, thank you for that. And You're welcome. Thanks for that parting advice. So speaking of great guests, who else should I get on the show and why? I knew you were going to ask me that question. And and I I, I thought about it and, and I've drawn somewhat of a... a of a blank, but if I can get back to you, because I've given you, I, I, you've interviewed Roxanne, you've interviewed Jay Suko. Mm. I thought about this thing. I, I kept drawing this blank, and I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. Um, I think we got introduced by Gleb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Jennifer Elder. Jennifer Elder, she's, we were, I refer to her as my office wife. She's a CPA, but she's not your stereotypical CPA. Uh, she sees the world through a different lens. She works strategically with businesses and CFOs to help their businesses grow. She might be someone that you might want to consider. I could send you her, her email address. Um, and if you could give me a couple of days, I'm sure something will will dawn on me so i'll send you i'll send you their information excellent okay well we'll get an introduction to jennifer and reach out to her start that conversation and uh, yeah if you think of anybody else that would be wonderful yeah, she is on linkedin hmm. jennifer elders uh i think it's j elder at sustainable cfo.com but i might be i should know that as much as she and i email each other <laughs> uh it's J Elder E L D E R at sustainablecfo.com. Okay, got it. Cool. Thanks for that. And thanks again for sharing your time and your insights and helping us dig into the book so extensively today. I've really enjoyed it, had fun as I did last time. So this has been a blast and um, all the best for the future. And let's keep in touch, keep keeping in touch. Absolutely. Thank you very much for, for letting me come back. Like you said, this this is a blast. I love I, I, two the three conversations that we've had have been a lot of fun and we'll, we'll have to keep in touch. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. All right, buddy. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that thoroughly engaging and, and really insightful conversation with Peter and took something away from his episode today, something that you can turn into concrete action right now, today. I always immensely enjoy my conversations with Peter as I did this one. I think the key takeaways for me were that improvisers are well rehearsed. That's a key message from his book as well. And that we are, in fact, all improvisers. I'd love to know what you took away from Peter's episode. Do leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Peter Margaritas dash one. First repeat appearance. 
That is P-E-T-E-R-M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S dash one. All lowercase, all one word in overbiz.co forward slash Peter Margaritas dash one. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Peter and links to his Today Improv website, his social media pages, his books and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you like this episode, do share it with other people that it might help. And we'd love you to leave a review on this episode because it really helps us make the podcast better for you and also better for other people that you'll share it with. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform to leave a review. And you can always follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. Peter suggested that we have a conversation with business coach, nationally recognized speaker and best-selling author Jennifer Elder, also with sales communication strategist Michael Sherlock, and on top of that, with author, award-winning coach Con Apostolopoulos on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Jennifer, Michael and Con Keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Peter Margaritas. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast. We've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including Director of Invested Talent and fellow podcaster Ruben Kanya, and with Richard Medcalf of X Quadrant. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.